Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. As usual, it's great to have you here. So let's jump straight into today's episode. There are a lot of people that will talk about how tough the past couple of years have been, and rightly so in many cases. But if there's one thing I've learned in my 40 years in this industry, it is that to succeed, you have to continually evolve. You can't stand still and dine out on yesterday's glories, and you can't be afraid to continually reinvent and evolve your business. And my guest today very much shares those sentiments. And in the nicest possible way, I'm about to unleash her onto you. <laughs> her name is Mia DeVries. And amongst other things, she is a salon owner, business coach, and founder of The Secret Fox, an online education company. In today's podcast, we'll discuss no longer working Saturdays and instead embracing a four-day work week, the importance of finding life and business balance, and motivation and people management, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mia DeVries. Hello, Anthony. So good to be here today. I'm really excited. I'm, look, I'm always excited about talking to the people I have on the show. I, I sometimes think that maybe I should stop saying that, but I am excited all the time about talking to my guests. And I know that you have an awful lot to bring to our listeners. So I genuinely are really excited about this. Now, I'm going to start off the way I usually start, and that's by pretty much getting my guests to introduce themselves. So let's sort of start with an overview of you and your background. Uh, who is Mia DeVries. Give us your two-minute backstory. <laughs> Only two minutes. All right, we'll see how we go. So um, I am a hairdresser. Uh, my salon is based in Wollongong, New South Wales, which is about an hour and a half south of Sydney. I've been hairdressing 27 years. I opened my salon at the 10-year mark, so I've had it now for 17 years. Uh, about five years ago, we, oh, probably actually about nine, nine to 10 years ago, we started doing a lot of our own in-salon education and touring around Australia and New Zealand. Uh, with that, we realised that there was actually a bit of a demand for some online education. So we also started an online education business called The Secret Box. And then last year in lockdown, while we were um, closed due to COVID, we actually started a third project, which was called Salon Bestie, which is a salon mentoring and coaching program. Um, I've got six dogs, two children, team of nine, a beautiful fiance called Marcel. He's amazing. Um, that probably wraps it up. I reckon that's me. <laughs> Right. Me in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, a lot of people will relate to all of that. Um, so I have to I have to make sure I get the right names for different parts of your business here. The Fox and the Hare is the name of the salon, and the education company, which we're going to talk about soon, is called the Secret Fox. So let's just dig in first of all uh, to your salon, which is the Fox and the Hare. Uh, did you just say you had nine staff? Yeah. Yes, there's nine of us all together here. Okay, so so what is the business model that you have uh, for the salon? So everybody who works for me is employed by the salon. 
So they're on my team. We all work the same hours, roughly. The majority of my team have been with me now for uh, four years and above. Okay. So quite, quite loyal, quite stable. I'm very lucky. Good. Okay. Now I know it hasn't always been like that. So you know, no, I know, not always. I know that you know, like every salon owner, that you've had challenges with uh, attracting staff, motivating staff, keeping staff, uh, etc., and, and that you had a. Uh, I don't know if it was a very public sort of meltdown, but let's call it a public, you know, business meltdown at some point in time where you sort of, you know, had to had to do some major reassessing of life and business and what you wanted out of things. Uh, tell us about that period before we sort of move on, because, again, I think, you know, salon owners everywhere uh, will relate to, you know, the challenges that you've been through. Oh, most definitely. I think, and it's it's something that I actually do see happen a lot in other businesses. But um, I guess, you know, one way of putting it is that my business did implode, my salon imploded, my team lost it. Um, and that was actually coincided around probably both times I had my children, which is really interesting, I think, because obviously, um, you know, your attention goes somewhere else. So if your team isn't feeling loved up and if you've taken your eye off them, any, anything can happen and it usually does. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you know, during that sort of, you know, rebuilding phase, what what was it that you decided to change? What was the sort of, okay, these are the lessons I've learned. I mean, I've got, I, and funnily enough, I've got a young man who uh, uh, is a coaching client of mine, and, and he said to me just recently, he'd had a major walkout and he'd lost six of his staff. And uh uh, as you were saying that, that, the thing I said to him was, okay, so the very first thing to do after you get bitter and twisted and, and you know, have a little bit of a, a, a breakdown and start screaming and blaming everybody else, and you do have to do that maybe for a few seconds, but then yeah, you, can, to, you need it. <laughs> you know, you've got to pull yourself together pretty quick and you've got to ask yourself a question. And the question is, all right, what am I meant to learn from that? Because if I don't learn something from it, it's going to happen again. So, so what was the learnings? For you when you, you know, went through that? I think for me, you know, I'm I'm always saying that I'm the problem and the solution because I think that's one thing where, you know, you see a lot of salon owners that will look outwards and they'll blame their team. It's their team's problem or, you know, it's, you know, someone else's fault. It's never them. Whereas I always think that the fish rots from the head down. So I'm like, right, okay, I need to have a good look in the mirror and see where did I go wrong? And I'd actually say the biggest problem was communication. I'd stopped talking and listening to my people. So sort of, you know, I wasn't really sort of seeing the warning signs that were in place. I wasn't sort of keeping everybody's egos in check. I didn't, I guess I just didn't check the temperature to see how are they all floating along nicely. So that's, I think, probably the biggest thing for me now is that, you know, now I know, I know my entire team's love language. I know how to know when they need their cup filled. I can sort of judge it when it starts to get a little bit rocky, but I also know my sweet spot in my team. I think there was a period of time where I had 21 people and that is way too many voices in my head. I prefer to have, you know, between six and ten voices in my head, including my own. Okay, that's interesting. And you just mentioned uh, Love Language. Have you read that book? No, I haven't read the book. I've only read, like, the short bits online about it. But, no, yeah. I'm not a big reader. <laughs> yeah, no, no, someone mentioned to me just recently, it was actually on the podcast, another guess I had, uh, that that book was so important. I forget who the author of it is. I'm sure if uh, our listeners Google it, they'll be able to find out. But it was a really important message about understanding 
how other people feel loved and appreciated. And uh, I haven't read the book, but I, I thought the messaging that she was you know, giving me about that was a, a really important thing as a salon owner. It was interesting the way you just uh, sort of dropped that in there. They're having 21 different voices in your head and you know, not, not communicating with all your people because there was simply too many of them. And, and that often becomes a challenge is understanding what it is that, uh, that, that motivates and drives people. Um, you you sent me a, a little bit of a PowerPoint before uh, the podcast so that I could sort of see what you'd been up to, and there was a, a there was lots of stuff in there that that stand out stood stood out. Sorry, um, as I said to you once you sent it, I thought to myself, "Oh my God, what have I unleashed here?" <laughs> <laughs> but, it's a cause for concern. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the nicest possible way, but there was one line in there. Um, and I think it was from a book, actually, uh, that you'd read, and it seemed to underpin a lot of your ethos, your way of doing things, your way of working. Uh, and I thought you might have alluded to it again then with that previous question, but I'm going to ask you directly about it now. The, the, the question was that you now ask yourself across every area of your life, does this spark joy? What do you mean by that statement? Does this spark joy? And how has that influenced you and your business? Oh, well, that's a, you know, a big gem from Marie Kondo there, isn't it? So I guess what it comes down to is when we, once we've had our salon or our business for a long time or our relationship for a long time or anything for a long time, I guess there are, you know, times when you take things for granted. So you sort of, you know, you don't necessarily always treat things the right way um, or I guess sort of, you know, you just do things because it's the way it's always been done or you do things because you think that's how you should be doing them. And what I find that most salon owners that I speak to or a lot of my friends that I speak to that have got businesses is that they're usually pretty unhappy in their business because they've lost track of the things that make them happy to do what they do for a living. So I guess, you know, they've, you know, they don't like the hours that they're working because they're being dictated to, they feel like they, they have to do everything for what their clients want or they have to do everything for what their teams want. And they kind of forget to include themselves in sort of, you know, what makes them happy or what's going to fulfill them or, you know, fill their cup up. And I think that's probably where a lot of our, our miserable um, business owners or, you know, miserable teams come from is because they don't know how to fill their own cup and they don't know how to ask themselves, like, you know, is what I'm doing, what I want to be doing, am I happy here right now? Okay. And so, and so how does that relate into some real practical things in your business? Well, I, I'm, uh, instead of me fishing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a more direct question. I know you now no longer work Saturdays. I know uh, from what I read that you do a four-day week. Is that, is that correct? Am I right on both those? Yes. Yeah? yeah, we okay. gave up Saturdays probably about five years ago. And it was really quite funny how that originally started. So it was more, I guess, you know, I had quite a young team at the time. They've all grown up a little bit now. So there's not as many Saturdays off the music festivals that they used to ask for. But um, what ended up happening with that was that, you know, there was there was social. Young people are social. They want to go out and they want to have fun. Uh, so they were constantly asking, can I have this day off? Can I have that day off? And I guess sort of, you know, after a while you get sick of having to say yes. So I was just like, wouldn't my life be easier if we just closed Saturdays? Also around that time was when I had a little baby. So I thought I don't particularly want to be in the salon on Saturdays either. I'd prefer to be doing family things and making memories with them. So I guess that was a bit of a priority shift for me. Um, closing Saturdays actually happened over a period of time. I think the first year we did it, 
only two of the girls, the two party girls ended up not working Saturdays first. Uh, after a year of watching them not work Saturdays, then the rest of the team thought, hey, maybe it's our time to not work Saturdays as well. So then they dropped Saturdays and the only sucker that was still working Saturdays was actually me. So I think I was the last one to drop Saturdays and I sort of stepped that back. So I went from working every weekend, to working every second weekend, to working one Saturday every six weeks. So I was constantly putting my, you know, my hand gently on my client's shoulder and saying, hey, just wanted to let you know we're not going to be working weekends anymore. So would you like to book in on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night until eventually I had to put my hand on their other shoulder and say, hey, so I'm not going to be doing nights anymore. Would you like to come in on a Friday? (laughs) So we just gently let them all down. So it was quite interesting. I think, um, you know, I find it, I find it fascinating that it's such a big conversation sort of in Australia in particular about not working weekends. Like it seems to be a real sticking point for everybody coming out of lockdown. But I just think, you know, yep, that might be trending now, but who knows, maybe in like two years time, we'll all want to be working weekends again. Sort of, you know, the world's gone mad at the moment. Nothing's, nothing's as usual. Yeah, it's it's certainly a topic of conversation everywhere. I must admit the very first person that I came across who was doing that, and it was about five or six years ago, was someone in Australia, in Canberra. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the salon. Um, it escapes me for the moment. But it, it, it was it was when, when he first said to me, oh, look, he, he literally apologised for the salon not being busy. And he said, uh, but, but half the staff have Saturday off because it was a Saturday I dropped in there. John Cha-Cha. I uh, can't think of his first name uh, in Canberra. Um, yeah. And he said to me, he said, look, uh, you know, look, I just want to apologize. The salon's not busy, but I give half the staff, you know, Saturdays off. And I and I looked at him and thought, why the hell would you do that? And he said, he said to me, you know, the reason I do that is that a lot of my staff are, you know, early 30s or whatever, and they got young families, whatever, they want to spend spend time with them. So um, you know, they get every, I forget what I forget what it was at the time. Was it every second Saturday or every Saturday, whatever it was? And it was really the first time. I'd, I'd come across that. And then, and, you know, I think that was, it could be six years ago now, uh, it just seems to have spread. Um, and it, it's quite a common thing everywhere now um, and becoming more so. But obviously it's not right for every business. And if I'm no. a salon owner listening to this, the question that I want to ask you is, well, what impact did that have on your business financially? Well, it was really quite funny, actually, because it didn't have any impact. There was no negative impact. It was all uh, positive impact. I guess the thing that we had to weigh out was here in Australia on the weekends, you get paid penalty rates. So I wasn't wanting my team to miss out on their penalty rates for Saturday. So they all had to get a pay rise for during the week. So I think we had to take the hours they were working on Saturday, put them into after hours. So we started opening earlier and closing, opened earlier every day, closed later two days a week because I didn't want them to burn out. So I make sure that on the day that they work a long day, they have a short day the next day. Because basically my, I guess my rule is that I just don't want any complaints. I did offer them three long days, but I said, but the catch is that I can never hear you say that you're tired because you've got four days off. And they were like, oh, we'll just work the two late days. I was like, that's fine by me. So yeah, I think, um, with that, that, yeah, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> no, that's all right. So, so, so they, they all do a four-day week and included yes. in those four. So how many hours would they typically do? So they actually are here for 42 hours through the week. So it's longer wow. than an average average week, yeah. So okay. 8 till 8 Tuesdays, 8 till 5 Wednesdays, 8 till 8 Thursdays and 8 till 5 on a Friday. And okay. they really liked that early start because that actually meant that they got to get the best free parking on the street. 
Okay. All right. So as you said, that's, uh, it's interesting, the things that motivate people, you know, um, a little thing like that, that they wanted to start earlier because it meant they could get the best free parking. Okay. Um, so I know that you also have now stepped away from behind the chair. Uh, I'm, I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah, I still I still have a couple of clients because they're in their 70s, 80s and 90s, but I'm not spending very much time behind the chair at all. I think I've got about 11 clients now. Okay. So I'll often get asked by salon owners, you know, or not asked, they'll tell me that they want to step away from behind the chair. Uh, what's the secret to, to doing that successfully? Oh, I think it comes down to the handover and the communication. So to get them really excited about the next step in your group, because typically you've got a really good relationship with your clients. So mm. if they've been coming to you for a long time, they've, you know, you've grown up with them, they've grown up with you. So I think what made my transition quite easy is that they were all really happy for me to be succeeding in other areas. So they wanted to help me create space to do that. And I guess, you know, I'm still here in the salon. I pop in most days. If they're in the chair, I'll always go in and I'll have a chat. So I've still got that relationship with them. Mm. But also that I guess, you know, I've trained my team really well. The salon was very systemized um, as we were growing. So that really helped with people feeling comfortable to be, you know, handed over or introduced to another another stylist. Right. Okay. So when you were just going back a bit to uh, the fact they only work a four-day week, although that is still a lot of hours, 42 hours, uh, did the revenue uh, drop at all because they were no longer, you know, working Saturdays? Not at all. I guess it's a weird, a weird thing because obviously revenue with COVID has been all over the shop. But in the before times, uh, the revenue actually increased because they were more productive. Wow. Okay. So you're closed three consecutive days, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Yeah? That's correct. Okay. And uh, so when are the late nights? Tuesdays? So and Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday and Thursday. Right. Okay. So no, no real negative impact at all in terms of uh, total sales revenue, uh, quite the opposite. Okay, but surely you've lost some clients. Surely there are people who, I go to a salon on a Saturday, I can't afford time during the week and late nights, you know, uh, don't work for me. Did you did you lose some clients through that transition? We had three clients that grumbled, only yeah. one of them left. Wow. So it's quite funny because uh, two are a mother and daughter. The mum yeah. still comes here. The daughter just couldn't make it work. I just feel that most people do have um, jobs or lives that can be flexible. And the last two years, I don't think I don't think time matters anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So any other examples that you've got as to how you've built more flexibility into the business? Because you know, these days, no matter who I talk to, no matter what country they're in, you know, the buzzword around running a salon successfully is about you've got to be flexible with your team. Um, and so I'm always saying to them, okay, so what does that look like in your salon? So, you know, you've got a pretty a couple of really good examples of that flexibility. You're not working Saturdays, you're only doing a four-day week. Anything else you do that offers people more flexibility? Oh, I guess sort of, you know, my team have learnt how to communicate with me very well. So I'm a yes person, provided they bring me their problem and their solution. So they basically get whatever they want because they know how to ask for it. So, you know, prior to closing the weekend, 
closing weekends, you know, one of my girls would come to me and say, oh, I've got this event on. And then she'll say, you know, I'm fully booked on this date, but I can already move this person to this this column and this person to that column and they'll be okay. And I can pick up an extra, extra hour here or there. And so it just makes it really easy for me to say yes. So typically I think my team's a very happy team because I rig everything in their favour as well. So I make it that, you know, I help them achieve their goals. I, so I make things easy, sort of, you know, I set, the, I set the path for them. So they really just have to reach out just a little bit to grab things. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I like the way you said, I forget how you worded it now, but uh, they bring you the solution. They bring you the problem, but they also bring you a solution with it. And I think that is a yes. really important thing. Well, I used to have that as a rule in our team meetings, that you can bring up anything you want in the team meeting as long as you're also bringing up a possible Solution. The solution doesn't have to be adopted, but you can't just moan and groan. You've got to bring up a problem, and this is what I think we should do to resolve that problem. So, you know, that, that's a good mindset for people on your team to have. Um, now, I know you've recently had a big renovation um, in the salon, and it looks fabulous. I can sort of see it in the background, and I was checking it out on Instagram, etc. It looks great. Um, tell us about the renovation. Why did you do it, and what are some of the things? things that you've integrated into it because I can see that cocktails have become a significant part of your business. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite funny actually. We started renovating two weeks prior to going into lockdown. So we'd actually already started knocking down walls. We were just going to work in a shambles for, you know, we thought maybe four weeks maximum. Uh, and then I think we hit our second wave here in Australia and we got closed down for originally, I think it was only going to be about six weeks. It ended up being about four months. So I still, I still laugh. I think I can go back onto my Instagram and we were waiting for a lot of furniture because obviously everything was taking such a long time to come into stock. So we'd started the renovation. We'd had our mood boards done. We actually did the majority of it ourselves as well because we couldn't get any tradespeople because lockdown. Um, and what we ended up doing then was, I still remember there was, you know, running jokes about how in August, a lot of our equipment wasn't due to arrive until October. So it was like, we're going to have a half renovated salad with mismatched furniture and it's going to be a big nightmare. And then our lockdown got extended further and further and further. But what was really interesting about that was that we went from a 21, so prior to the renovation, when we reopened from the first lockdown in Australia, we had to work with a one person per four square metre rule. So that meant that we were we were only using every second station. And so the salon looked really weird to have, you know, a busy chair, an empty chair, a busy chair, an empty chair. And I thought, right. Let's just get rid of those empty chairs because it doesn't look like we're going to be using them anytime soon. So we went from 21 stations down to 11 stations so we could space them out to be COVID safe. Um, and what we ended up doing then was we thought, okay, so that we can actually afford to reopen because we were only doing half the amount of clients, the volume was gone. We needed to elevate our client experience so that we could actually justify popping our prices up as well. So that was a, that was a fun game for me to play because also I wanted, what I realised was when we weren't the volume of clients, my team weren't hitting their targets. So they weren't making the money that they should be making either. So we actually completely changed our, um, our business structure, completely changed our prices, um, reformatted everything so that I could rig it that we were going to be successful on the other end of this. So that meant that we actually upped our prices between $50 and $100 uh, per client. So everybody's uh, client spend went up. Mm -hmm. um, we, we extended our appointment times. We started working one-to-one, -one, which was also um, a big change 
for the team. So that was, I guess, you know, we were giving a different level of service because we were staying with our clients the whole way through. Um, but one thing that we didn't expect they'd like as much as what they do is that we started offering a complimentary drink. So uh, we weren't doing, you know, we had, you know, tea, coffee, water, juice prior to that, but we thought we'd add a sneaky cocktail in there. And it was really funny. I don't know if that was just just really sweet timing with coming out of COVID and lockdown because everyone was just excited. Everyone was excited to be in salon. Everyone was excited to see us. Everyone was very excited to have a, a cheeky drink with us as well to catch up over time. And what that meant, I think, was that, um, you know, we opted our price point to anywhere. An average service with us now is between $350 and, and $450. And it just helped them, I guess, sort of, you know, having them have that little bit of bubbles with us. Then they were a little, little bit boozy by the time they left. They were happy to spend a bit more on the shampoos and conditioners. And, you know, they, they were in the they're in the zone, basically. Okay, so your average bill was between three hundred and fifty and four hundred and fifty. Is that is that what you just said? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Whereas okay. before it used to be between one hundred and ninety-eight and maybe two ninety-nine. Yeah. Okay. So colour is a big part of your business, isn't it? I mean, looking at your Instagram feed, etc. That is like. You, you have a really uh, strong USP around balayage and colour in general. Is that, am I right in saying that? Yes, yeah. yes. It, everybody it, has the colour that comes in here. Right, literally everybody who comes in has colour. Yes. Right, okay. Uh, but you're not, a, you're not just a colour salon. No, we're not just right. a colour salon, but we may as well be. Right, okay. And uh, when you said that everyone gets a one-to-one -one experience, does that mean you don't have assistance anymore? No, all of our assistants have graduated and come through now. And so we didn't actually rehire. We had we hired two apprentices during lockdown. So as lockdown happened and they've both graduated now. Right. Okay. Would you hire more apprentices or not? Uh, probably not in this climate, I mm. would say. I think not right now's not the right time for us. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And uh you're not a specialist salon, are you? You both cut and colour hair. Even we both cut colour. Right. Okay. All right. That's that's really interesting. Okay. So, um, oh gosh, where do I go with this? I, I just mentioned your Instagram feed. I I love when I look through people's Instagram feed, and there's a little old lady in it. And you had a, <laughs> Olive. You had Olive, little old lady, <laughs> and she looked fabulous. Uh, she had a great little haircut. Uh, but I love the little story that was around Olive. So tell us about Olive. Oh, so this is what I was saying. These are my 11 clients that I've still got left because they are quite senior. And um, I just, you know, I don't want to rock their boats. I feel like they've, you know, they've, I've built a relationship with them. They've been very, very loyal and faithful clients. So for Olive and I, I think she's been coming to the salon now for about 16 years. Um, it's been quite sad, actually. I think she's, um, I've been with her since some of her daughters have got ill and passed away. I think when we lost her dog, that was really sad. But it was quite funny. There was one Saturday night in lockdown where I got this phone number. It was 9.30 9 at night. And I had this voice on the other end. Like, was talking to this person and I spent ages trying to work out who is this and then eventually she said Mia it's Olive and I was like <laughs> Olive oh my goodness and then she said to me oh look you know I haven't got anyone else would you mind being my singles buddy and I felt so special and I think for me that really cemented how um you know what what special friendships we do build with our clients as yeah. you know hairdressers yeah. and so I used to pop over to her house once a week in lockdown I think our special treat was that I'd bring her a Macca's uh a Macca's coffee and um I'd sit in the living room and it was really awkward because then I'd sit in a kitchen and then we'd go out into the backyard and then we'd sit in the living room again. But over that period of time, I got to know Olive really, really well. And I guess sort of, you know, we built a friendship outside of the salon and she doesn't drive now. Um, 
there was a little bit of a hairy time when she came in to have an appointment. She'd parked in an underground car park and she couldn't actually see, she couldn't see a gear stick. So I was like, Olive, I gave her a torch so that she could drive. And then I was like, I think it's about time that we um, we picked her up now. So originally she was getting a carer to come and pick her up, but I found out from her that that was costing her so she pays $100 for hair. She's one of our clients that doesn't have colour anymore. She used to have colour, but we stopped that. So she was paying $170 for someone to pick her up and drop her off to a hair appointment, as well as $100 for a haircut. And that's when I thought, you know, Olive, you're a special one to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how many more haircuts I've got with Olive. So I started picking her up and dropping her off. Yeah, that, So we go that. and we that get was... Macca's drive-through on the way home now. It's great. Right. That was the bit I loved, that you actually pick her up and <laughs> drop her off. And she's 94 years old. Is that right? 94 years old, yes. Wow, fantastic. Good on you. I think those relationships are really special. And I think a lot of a lot of hairdressers have an olive in their life. And uh, I, I think those relationships are, are part of what makes hairdressing such a special thing, you know, to do that you, you can give people um, you can give people something special, you know, uh, yeah. in, in terms of that relationship. Um, look, most of the people listening to this are salon owners, but there will be some people who aren't salon owners who are working for someone else. So I want to just ask you two questions about that before we move on and talk about the secret fox. Uh, the first one is, at what point do you know that it's the right time to open a salon? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know if I ever really knew. I'd exhausted all my options. I'd actually worked in every every good salon locally. And when it came to the point, it's, it's quite funny, actually. The salon that was here before I ended up taking over the premises was the last salon I rang and basically begged for a job. I rang her and I said, Cheryl, do you have any senior positions going? And she said, Mia, what happened this time? And that's when I realised I obviously had a bit of a reputation for being a brat and I'd, I'd basically run out of options. And my brother, who was 13 at the time, looked at me and he said, no one's going to employ you anymore. You're going to have to work for yourself. So, sort of, you know, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask, when do you know is the right time? Um, because I'd literally run out of options. But it's really interesting. Someone asked me the other day, um, you know, knowing what I know now, would I still open a salon? And I was like, no way. I would be a gun for somebody else. Just so I could go home and never think about work again. So I could literally switch off. So I do find that really, really funny. And I think that um, I think that maybe that's one thing that I've actually showed my team and helped them to understand that, you know, it's a really, really good life. If you can be an amazing hairdressing uh, hairdresser and work for a great boss, um, you'll be killing it. Mm, okay. Uh, and so what, what do you wish you'd known before you opened a business or is that the answer? Oh, I think that's the answer. I think I wish that I, I wish that I knew that I could just be an amazing asset to somebody else's business. I wish. I think the difference is that now, um, you know, opening a salon, I understand, I understand both sides. I understand how hard I need to work, and I also understand how easy it is as an employee. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that would that's that's probably the secret. I think now. Okay. Now there was another. Uh, sentence in that in that PowerPoint deck you sent me, um, and it was a really good deck. I gather that that is a presentation that you do to people, and I thought it was a great deck that you'd, you'd put together there. But it was a sentence that underpinned a lot of why you do what you do, and I, I, and I'm paraphrasing. I may not have this exactly right, but um, it, it's a it's an ethos which which I very much believe in as well. Which is that just because something was done a certain way two years ago doesn't mean that's going to work today. And what you do today isn't necessarily going to work in two years' time. And you've sort of touched on that already. But talk to us a little bit about that thought process. 
Oh, I guess sort of you just need to be flexible. Flexibility is key. I think, um, you know, I think the reason why I'm so happy or the reason why sort of, you know, I get lucky with um, the projects that I do is because I'm willing to give everything a go and that I'm just, I am pretty go with the flow. I don't really get too rattled by things. So I think, um, yeah, I just think it's, I'm very open-minded. I'm not, I'm not stuck in my ways. I'm willing to try new things. And if they don't work, it doesn't matter. You keep going. It's a lesson learned really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Let's, let's talk about uh, the secret Fox, which is your um, education company. Um, So, what exactly is it? I know that uh, our Australian listeners will be very familiar with it. And I know that you do have quite an international following, but there'd be a lot of people in the UK and the US and elsewhere who who haven't heard of it. So tell us, uh, what is uh, The Secret Fox? Oh, I guess probably the easiest way to explain The Secret Fox is to say that we'd be like Netflix for hair and makeup artists. So we are um, online, we are accessible 24-7. We've got, um, oh, we we run online live stream classes into a closed Facebook group where you can chat with the guest artist. We've done, I think it's been around for about five, five years. It'll be five years on the 20th of this month. Uh, we probably live stream sort of two to three times a month. We've got a backlog of over 100 classes right now and they cover everything uh, from hair cutting, colouring, styling, social media, business and makeup. Great. Fantastic. And it's subscription based, is it? Is that how how it works? Yeah. So it's subscription based. So it works on a um, $99 a month subscription. So you can opt in anytime. There's no lock-in. Right. And when you're a subscriber, you get access to everything. Right. And did you say there was one every week, a new class every week? No, we probably do every, gosh, I'd, I'd never get a, never get any time off if we did that. So every two to three weeks we host another class. Right. Okay. And they're all, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have done a couple of them. Uh, We've had all, you on twice now, yes. Twice, yeah. Are they all a similar sort of format, like, you know, an hour, an hour and a half or whatever? I mean, are they? Uh, it depends on what's being covered. So right. sort of, you know, some of the social media classes might be a little bit shorter and punchier. Uh, yeah. If it's a colour corrections class, you could be there with us all day. So they are live, but they're recorded. You can watch back at any time. Right. Okay. So, so how did it come about? How did you, you know, you said six or seven years ago, I think, uh, that you first started this. So how, how did it come about? I think what was probably really different about us at the time is we would have been probably one of the first unknown salons who wasn't supported by a product company. We just started doing our own education. Mm. So I think uh, we had sort of come onto Facebook and Instagram at a time sort of, I guess, before it really boomed, before a lot of people were really using it for their businesses. And I guess we were showcasing our skills and we were having a lot of people, what actually started our education was what we found that we were doing is we were doing a lot of corrections for other salons. So when Balayage started trending it again about 10 years ago, not many people really knew how to do it or understood what it was. And I was just very fortunate that when I started my apprenticeship sort of oh gosh like 17 years prior that um balayage was sort of just just coming out and foils were coming in so I'd actually seen it I'd never physically done it but I thought oh I reckon I could give that a go and over that period of time where we started doing a little bit more of it we ended up um, refining our skills a little bit more and we found that we were having uh you know clients travel from you know as far as Canberra which is about three hours from where we are in Sydney about an hour and a half to have their hair done by us or fixed by us and we thought well we can't balayage everyone's hair so we may as well start showing other people what we do and from there um our classes ended up growing where we 
toured it around Australia. We toured around New Zealand. Um, we got picked up by a colour company at the time. They also helped with touring us. Um, and then I think just one day we thought, you know, we'd just give, a tr- give it a try of putting it online. And I guess it's always like anything when you do something new, you think, oh, is anyone going to buy it? And I hope, I hope somebody wants to watch because, we, you know, we're always worried that, you know, no one's going to come to our party. And we ended up finding that from when we launched it, I think we had the tickets live for about a month. We sold 700 tickets. So 700 tickets at $99 is a really, really great day for education. Uh, and what we noticed from that was that obviously there was a need for online. I think nobody was really doing that in Australia at the time. So we thought, okay, let's start this. And we started, um, we decided that we'd make it a subscription-based business. I did have a business partner at the time and she loved um she loved anything that was on a subscription base. So she was very, very clever that way. So we did make it um, a subscription. I think when we started, we probably had about 200 subscribers at the time and it does fluctuate. So I think at the moment we've got about 400, uh, you know, depending on who the guest artist is, we might go anywhere between uh, 600 and 800 subscribers. So, but people tend to come and go for who they're interested in or the topics that they're interested in as well. Right, okay. So it's been a great side hustle. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so how can people find out more about it? Uh, so they can find us on Instagram at the Fox, uh, the Secret Fox Education, or they can head to the website www.thesecretfox.com. Okay, I, I will put uh, both those links in the show notes for uh, today's podcast. Um, so you were very much a sort of an early adopter uh, to social media, and and you got a lot of traction there right at the beginning, which has been really beneficial for your business. Uh, where do you think? social media is heading in a in a sort of an education aspect i think it's gone rogue now i think everybody's an educator and there's i guess there's two two ways of looking that where i guess some old school people can look at and get really really cranky about it because people obviously aren't um you know their skill sets aren't sort of as refined or they haven't come through the ranks as what they are but i just think that you know everybody's got an audience nobody's really in competition with each other i think that there's room for everybody and i think that there's always something to learn from somebody Mm, okay. Uh, and I know it's a really big part of your salon business as well. Again, I'll put the links for your uh, social media handles, Instagram handles um, into yeah. uh, the show notes for this. Uh, do you spend a lot of time on it every week? I do. I do spend a lot of time on it, but I enjoy it as well. That's my downtime. Yeah. So I do enjoy that world. Good. I know a lot of salon owners will ask me this question. Uh, around social media. So I'll be interested to see how you answer it. And that's uh, how do you manage and set guidelines around the salon's social media? Oh, that's quite funny, actually. So I'm I'm always online, but I don't answer my phone. That's the way I look at it. So um, you, so we are closed, like we were discussing earlier, that we're, we don't work Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays. So there might be times where I just don't reply to those messages on Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays. So I'm really good. They can sit there and I'll get back to them sort of when I need to, when I need to. So it's been really interesting. Um, obviously with the secret Fox, I've got to be online for that 24 seven because I think, you know, especially with our, um, you know, our customers over in America, they're awake when we're asleep. So, mm. you know, the first thing I do for that is I t- typically do check my emails first things, check our notifications first things for the online business because that is open 24-7. But for the salon, when we're closed, we're closed. So sometimes I might just have a copy-paste where I can just say, hey, um, you know, salon hours are these. Um, we'll get back to you sort of, you know, within salon hours. Otherwise, I just don't open it. 
Yeah. I just get back okay. to it on, yeah, Monday right. night, Monday yeah. nights when I get back to the weekend's messages. Okay. All of that is a really good point, but that's actually not what I what I was asking. So my bad for not, not phrasing the question properly. What, what I meant was a lot of salon owners will recognise, especially older salon owners, mm-hmm. they will recognise that, you know, 20 years ago you owned the intellectual property and the contact details of your clients. And now in this day and age of social media, I love that phrase you just used where you said education's gone rogue. Um, but but now in this day and age of, educa- of, of uh, social media, everyone is contactable. Like it, it's like, you know, you, you had a, some staff leave. Uh, they can contact all their clients. Their clients can contact all of them. Oh, they uh, were handed to them on a plate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's really where the question was around. How do you protect your business in terms of client details and stuff when it comes to social media? Or do you not? Do you go, well, that's just the world we live in today? Look, I think if you were to get precious about that, you'd be stressed out and worrying all the time. So I'm just like, it is what it is. So I guess that's where I've got to keep making sure that I'm a step ahead and that I'm innovating, that I'm, you know, coming up with different offers and enticing offers to, you know, to bring in new clients or to keep it sexy for old ones. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, and you know that someone's going to leave and they're going to take clients with them. And if they That's haven't we don't own told those clients, exactly, that they'll, they'll be in touch with them through social and there's nothing you can do about it except make sure that your business is growing and evolving and, you know, giving them something that you you anticipate they can't get elsewhere. So Yeah, okay. I think that's that's the key to ha- the happiness with that because I think a lot of salon owners do get very um protective about, you know, that was t- that photo was taken in my salon and you know that yeah. that staff member belonged to me for such a long time or I grew them or I nurtured them and I just think people leave yeah. sort of, you know, there's there's always, you know, opportunities for everybody and at one stage we were that person Mm. so you can't begrudge somebody that I don't think and yes there are the right ways to do things and you know if you've got contracts in place so but for me I'm very free and easy about that so I don't worry about my business in that respect because and I guess also because I've been through the worst of it and I got to the other side so I'm like oh yeah if if it happens again it happens again yeah exactly okay What, what sort of impact do you see that social media has had on competitions and hairdressing awards? I I actually don't think that sort of, I guess, for where I spend my time and my attention, I actually don't think that social media has had a big big impact on competitions and social uh, awards that way, mainly because they play at different levels. Mm. So I feel like, sort of, you know, if you're talking about like, you know, the Hair Awards, which was maybe Hair Expo or the AHIA or the Creative Awards now, I feel like the hairdressers that... In Australia in particular, the ones that spend a lot of time playing on social media don't play at that level. There's a real disconnect between, I guess, you know, hairdressing royalty and hairdressing influences mm. that way. So I don't think, whereas I think in America that line's really, really blurred. I think that that's all, you know, they're one and the same. So mm. I sort of think, you know, if you're thinking about people like Guy Tang or some of, you know, the really popular hairdressers in America, um, they're all in one area together. Whereas I think that the award in Australia, I feel like the hairdressers that are winning all the awards aren't active on social media. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, and is it because 
You see, the people that my, my observation of it is, is that I, and I did look and I've forgotten what the number is. How many people do you have following you on Instagram, for example? I think we've got about 66,000. Right. That's what I thought it was. I just didn't want to get it wrong. So, you know, you've got about 60,000, 60, 66,000, you know, uh, followers on, on Instagram. Um, is that your reward? Is that your recognition? Is that is that where you get your, you know, uh, what's the word? Acknowledgement, recognition, award, um, endorsement. Is that where that comes from? Because pre-social media, you got it from, in a lot of cases, you got it from entering competitions and winning awards at, at, at different hairdressing events and Nahas in America or hairdresser of the year, et cetera, in Australia or in the UK. I'm just curious as to how you see that. And that is interesting, your answer, that you're saying that they're two different games that are played by and it oh. sort of has segmented the industry. One is more interested in the industry, hairdressing royalty, and the other is more interested in the public which is a social media yeah. thing. I, I yeah. would say okay. that, yeah, I think um, it's de it's definitely segregated yeah. that way. I think that, yeah, there's definitely the hairdressers at the end of, end of the awards obviously have different outcomes that they want. They've got different budgets for things, whereas everybody that, you know, just is shooting with their iPhone, um, yeah. it probably is more that they want, they're doing it for the likes rather than the, the, the industry accreditation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, no, for me, I think... Um, my Instagram is very self-indulgent. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's where I sort of get my gratification from because, you know, I post I post a lot of memes. My I feel like, um, you know, there's a running joke where there was a client that once said that, you know, we're all really good hairdressers but our Instagram is terrible because I guess it's, it's very indulgent sort of, you know, I don't necessarily run it as a business account. It's sort of my personal account that has lots of, you know, appointments available on it as well. Yeah. So yeah, I feel I, I look at it as a meme account more as it more than a business account. Right. How, how long would you spend on it every day? Well, I'd check it sort of the first. I'd check it first thing. It's always sort of breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime. So I okay. am on it consistently throughout yeah. the day. Yeah. But we don't have a website, so all of our bookings are done online uh, via DM. Typically, sort of we tend our voicemail actually tells everyone to DM us on Instagram sort of so I direct everybody there so I'm constantly working on it I'm constantly scrolling and sort of you know looking for guest artists for the online business um but I think that that's where my community is so you know my people okay. are on Facebook and Instagram and on social media okay so I want to pick up on that you said we don't have a website that's obviously a conscious decision talk to us about that Oh, well, I've just never really liked one. I think um, probably the last time I would have built a website, we probably had a whole heap of, you know, team team members leave and we, it was like, now we need to reshoot all the new people. Um, but no, I just, I've never really felt like I've needed one. I guess sort of, you know, what's been strange about my journey is that I'm just a little salon in little Wollongong. So I'm not in a big city. I'm not from a big town. There was nothing special about me, really. Yeah. I'm just a regular salon that just happened to be online at the right time that went, I'm going to give this a go. Um, and then it worked. And I thought, I'll give this a go too. And then that worked. But really, yeah. I'm just a regular, regular okay. chick. So uh, t tell me about that for a second, you know, for our, our listeners that aren't Australian that don't understand the size of Wollongong, uh, what, what sort of population would there be there? I mean, I've been there, so I know what it's like, but uh, how big a, a city is it? I don't actually know what the population is, but like we're bigger than a country town, but we're smaller than a city. So okay. we're regional. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So probably I'm, I'm going to get, uh, maybe I'll Google it while you're talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and see what it comes up. So neither of us make fools of it. But no, but I guess the yeah. difference is, is that sort of like in Wollongong, there aren't, there aren't a great deal of opportunities. Whereas if you went to Sydney, you'd be doing fashion week. So you could typically work in one of the cool salons. Or, you know, we don't have a Tony and Guy here. Like we're still quite little and pokey. Uh, so I just got really lucky to have all the opportunities that I did. But basically I created all the opportunities that I did because, you know, no one was bringing education to Wollongong. So I was like, right, okay, cool. I'm going to have to start booking guest artists to come to Wollongong to, to host in my salon or, you know, um, you know, nobody was shooting in Wollongong. So if we wanted to do a collection or anything, I was like, right, we need to do that ourselves. So I was the one that had to outsource everything and bring it to me because we were, we're only an hour and a half from Sydney, but it's still too far away for a lot of opportunities and a lot of things. So okay. I sort of, you know, the, the running joke is always that I'm just like that little, that little salon that could yeah, okay. So it's not as small as what I thought it was. I've just Googled it. It says 220 odd thousand people. Uh yeah. so so that's that's but there's not much that happens here. <laughs> no, there's not much that happens here. That's a that, that's a reasonable sized population, uh two hundred and twenty thousand yeah. people. So it's not like a small country town with, you know, five thousand people in it. I interviewed someone on the podcast. Yeah, we got that. we've got real roads and stuff here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So let me just talk about your people for a minute. Um as a salon owner, how do you how do you get your team productive and we'll try and make these answers short sound bites because I'm, okay. I'm, I'm looking at the other things I want to get through with you in the next uh, uh, 15 minutes or so what's the key to getting your team productive I've taken away a lot of the little services so basically all of our services are packaged up so everything's either a, a you know a, a 350 makeover package that would include you know your foils or it's the you know a 450 makeover package that might be a full head balayage so basically everything's sold as a package everything's only blocked in in three hour time slots or four hour time slots so i make sure that to, to keep things effective you can only book in 8 a.m 11 a.m 2 p.m or 5 p.m there's no 9 30 appointments there's no 10 o'clock appointments so we maximize every chunk of the day Wow. That's and so I've also, I've priced it yeah. so that they can hit their targets. If So on, on average, the majority of them should only be able to do, they've got a, enough time to do 14 clients a week. A week. So that's what they're maxed out at, 14 clients a week yeah. each. Yeah. Uh, their bonus kicks in once they hit 10 clients. So if they're, so then that would be, say, if they're spending 350 to, four, to 450, minimum targets is going to kick in at three, five, so 3,500, uh -huh. and then their targets will go up from there. Okay. But, so yeah. I've just made it. So I've, I've maximized their times, their times and their money that they can earn. Yeah. So okay. I've, I've, I've made it as easy as possible for them to win. Right. Okay. So, so how do you handle non-performers? I don't have that problem anymore. Okay, good. All right. Um, so you said that, you know, that, that you don't, that everything is three or four hour appointments. Uh, you don't do men? We do do men, but yeah. if you want to have a men's haircut, you will have to, like, I will actually find the time. So if you want to book in a haircut, there's three haircuts in a row because then that's a three hour slot. Okay. So you can have a haircut at 8am or you can have a haircut at 4pm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, blow dries. So I just want to blow no, dry. You don't do blow dries at all. Happen. Right. Okay. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Oh, okay. You've got to, You've got to get in on one of those three hour lucky three hour time slots. Where so, so I will literally search the appointment book to yeah. find a a time. Yeah. Okay. All right. How do you handle conflict on your team as a manager? Uh, I guess sort of you know 
they're, they're pretty good because they are like a family now. We have been together a long time. We all know each other's personality types. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what that would come down to is, you know, I've got um, a great manager. So I've, I've actually had two managers in the time that we sort of had the salon. So uh, one's on one went on maternity leave and then someone else stepped up into that role. But basically it's always just like, are you bitching, whinging, or is this the problem? So if it's bitching, whinging, sort it out yourself. If it's a real problem, then come to me because I'm the only one that can fix it if it's a real problem. So a lot of the time it's really just communication, but we nip it very, very fast. So I think that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned with having a huge team walkout like that is that you've got to, you know, I guess it's like cancer, you've got to cut it out fast so it doesn't spread. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Uh, What's your biggest frustration and how do you deal with it? I have to really think hard on that one. Okay. Don't, don't really have I don't really have a big frustration. I'm fairly happy. A lot of things spark joy. <laughs> I know you are. You, you, you've got a great sense of humor and you're always laughing. Uh, so yeah, I'm just curious about that one. And, and that sort of leads into uh, perfectly the next question I wanted to ask you is what do you do when things do go wrong? I guess I just, I try really hard not to spiral and I try to keep things in perspective. Like at the end of the day, instead of, you know, what, like what kind of wrong are we thinking? How, ba- how bad are things going to get? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it could be anything. It could, I haven't defined it in my own head. So look, yeah. let's move on because I know you love talking about culture. Um, what, what is the key to creating a good culture in a business, a good team culture? I think... Definitely one thing that I'd pride myself on is keeping things very fair. I think to have a good team culture, you need to have everyone plays by the same rules. We're all equals. Everybody pitches in. Um, there's no us and them. We're all, we're all a team. Um, I think that would probably be a big, a big key of that for me. Yeah. Okay. And I, I know you've said a lot of your team have been with you a long time. So maybe you don't have anyone who's Gen Z, uh, anyone under the age of 24. Um, uh, what I was going to say to you was, what changes do you see in this generation, the, the Gen Z or Gen Z uh, uh, population in the workforce? What changes do you see in them compared to uh, other generations? Oh, see, I think... I think that there's actually a lot of positivity with them. I know that they get a bit of a bad rap and that everybody tries to give them a lot of grief, but I think what's really nice about them is they just take no crap. They don't take no bullshit. Yeah. And I actually think that's really refreshing because you know where you stand with them. Yeah. So if they don't want to do it, it's a no. Mm. So if there's a better, sexier offer, they'll let you know about that too. So I just sort of think um, you've got to keep it interesting for them mm. because they're keeping us on our toes as well. Yeah, also they are. I, I'm still on the back of my head thinking about when you said, I asked you, have you got any apprentices? Would you employ another one? And you said, no, not at the moment. Um, and I'm thinking about the connection between those two things. No, that's actually it's that's actually just a COVID decision. Right. So it's okay. sort of more like, uh, for me, I guess it's a little bit like, I don't really know what the next couple of months will look like here in Australia because we, um, you know, we're still, we haven't quite recovered from the Omicron wave from January, and I feel like we've come through with winter. There's a lot of uh, influenza happening here as well as a lot of COVID again. Yeah. Um, so that would really be all it would be for me, sort right. of okay. that way. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about money for a bit. And I know you warned me that 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 numbers was not always your your great strength. It's not my main driver. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> Freedom um, is my driver. I like to have time. Good, good. 
Um, well, the two are related, aren't they? You know, uh, yes. freedom uh, and uh, and having a viable, profitable business. Uh, let me ask you this: as a as a salon owner, someone who's been in business a long time, someone who now talks to a lot of salon owners and in different countries, what sort of profit margin? And as someone who's got a profitable business, what sort of profit margin do you think a salon should realistically be achieving as a percentage of their total sort of sales? Oh, it's so variable because it just depends on how much you want to work, sort of, you know, what's what do you want? So I guess like we're looking to buy a new house. We want to move and upgrade our house. So I need I need to look a lot sexier on paper. Um, but I guess sort of, you know, I don't know, I just I guess profitable it's so variable because at the moment, with how things have been here in Australia, hmm. I can't necessarily control how much is coming in anymore, but I can control what's going out. Yeah. So I've been rather than looking at sort of, you know, where my profit is, I've been looking at where my spending is so I can reel back like rein in on that. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't really know percentage wise because that's okay. It's so that's different. okay. Uh, I mean, on average, no matter who you talk to, on average, you will say people, whether it's in Australia or the UK or the US, is that the average salon is making a profit of somewhere, and this is after the owner's been yeah. paid, okay, after all the overheads, of usually typically it'll come in at a number of somewhere around the five to eight percent mark. In other words, yeah. It's not it's not huge. Now, are there outliers? Of course there are. I know people that that make 10, 15, 20% profit. Um, but that's not the norm. So I was curious as to with your experience as a percentage, uh, what you would see that as being. Um, linked to that is retail. Um, what what uh, what what percentage of your sales, if you know them? Come from oh, this is retail. a this is a hard pass on this. It's very very small. Our percentage okay. on retail sales would probably be like like seven or eight percent. It's not very high. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. That again. That would be. Uh, yeah. That, that would probably. But that is low for Australia, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I think Australia is, sits around twelve percent. We are yes. low. Yeah. In <laughs> in uh, in the US and the UK, your numbers are about the same as theirs. Um, yeah. So okay, and is it? Is it growing or is it declining your retail? Ours has actually grown. So we're doing much better because I think the team really like the brands that we're working with these days. Okay. So okay. I think that's made a big, a big difference for us. All but right. we've always been lazy retailers. And I think also actually the salon design, where our retail area is, it's not easy to get to. Yeah. So okay. All right. you walk now- in the door, you walk straight past it and you head, head upstairs. Okay, got it. Um, you touched on um, how your people are paid and and expected levels of productivity. Okay, can you just tell us a little bit more uh, about the system that you have for how you pay your people? So, like I was saying, all of our services are packaged. So we know that the the client's guaranteed spend, provided I can get that bum on a seat, their guaranteed spend is a minimum of three three $350. Uh, everybody has sort of 14 appointment slots in that week, so where they've got their 42 hours. So it's an 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. time slot. So I think, um, you know, the maximum that they could take well, the minimum that they would be taking on a short day would be three times three thousand five uh, three hundred. Sorry, three times three fifty, uh, and on a long day it would be four times 
350 uh, and then everything like then the retail and you know little add-ons and extras is on top of that uh, so their bonus kicks in at that 10 client mark so 3500 uh, once they hit 3500 they get a hundred dollar bonus then what they do for their next so once they hit the next 350 after that they get 120 on top of that. So it compounds, so they'd get 220. Once they hit the next 350 after that, then they get 150 on top. So all up. So if they hit their third tier, it becomes uh, 370 that they take home. And then it goes 150 for every 350 after that. So it goes up in 350 increments. So they have the potential to earn a lot. And I have made it easy for them to hit their targets. Yeah. So they get paid just slightly above the award wage here in Australia, but the majority of them are taking it home over $1,000 a week. So when we came back from lockdown, I asked them what what did they want to earn? Yeah. And they all sort of came back with that figure. So I said, right, how can I make this work for all of us? They came back with a figure of $1,000 a week. That's all. They, that's what all of them wanted. They all wanted a thousand bucks a week. Okay. So uh, and that's that's Aussie dollars. That's Aussie uh, after tax. Yeah. Oh, that's after tax. You're talking about. after tax. Okay. Yeah. So so, so 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 ballpark. I love how hairdressers talk about after tax as if the tax is an issue. Um, you know, you have to. Pay. <laughs> they wanted that in their bank account. Yes, they wanted yes. that to live on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so in other words, you know, a hundred. They, they want to earn um, thirteen hundred a week. Ballpark, yep. I'm, I'm guessing now. Um, you know, so, so that's a significant amount of money. Um, a thousand dollars, uh, as take home a week, um, Australian dollars is about 500 great British pounds. Um, and it is about uh, uh, 800 US dollars. Okay, for our uh, international audience. Okay, uh, well, that's good. That, that's really interesting. Um, I know we're going to wrap up in a minute. Uh, I just want to ask you, is, is there any bit of technology? I think I know the answer to this. Uh, what bit of technology do you use in the salon that you couldn't do without? Oh, my mobile phone. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and what do you think about the changing business models? Um, you know, there's been a huge shift all over the world. Uh, I mean, in America, the salon suite thing started at least 20 years ago, but it has had a lot of momentum in the last, say, 10 years, and now it is a hugely popular business model. Now, I know the salon suite thing in Australia is comparatively new, probably the last, I'm going to guess and say last four years, uh, uh, but the salon suite business model in Australia is growing. And like the UK and everywhere in the world, there is a, a, a lot of movement towards people being independent, people being self-employed. Just quickly, what are your thoughts about that? How is that impacting on your business or isn't it? It's not really impacting on my business because I guess I've got a team and at the moment they're quite happy. But I think what that really comes down to is the reason why everybody's, well, the reason that I'm hearing why everybody's leaving sort of, you know, traditional workplaces is because they're not getting the flexibility and they're not getting the money. So I think that they think that, you know, working for themselves, yes, they will get that, but they're also going to have to work a lot harder um, and they're, they're in charge. Yeah. So, so that, that was it. That nailed it. Flexibility and money. So within a traditional business model, if you can look for ways, as you have, to provide flexibility 
and to make it work for everybody financially, that that traditional, whether you call it employee, employer, or whether you call it a commission-based business model, it, it is it is alive and kicking and has a strong future, but it has to evolve from the way that it's been uh, without putting Definitely. words in your mouth. Does that sound like a, a pretty good summary of that? Okay. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What, what lesson have you learned in life uh, not necessarily hairdressing, but but what is the biggest lesson? And I know you've had a, through cur- a few curveballs thrown at you over the years, um, which we haven't mentioned on the show, but, but what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life? People are going to be wondering about the curveball that I mentioned. And for, for our <laughs> listeners who don't know, uh, Mia's house burnt down. <laughs> so I'm figuring that if your house burns down, that there's going to be some sort of a day of reckoning where you learn you learn something from <laughs> that about what the important things in life are. Uh, is it, was that it? Was that a was that a big? I mean, of course, that was a big deal. Um, <sighs> If I'm honest, it wasn't really. Because no? everybody okay. got out fine. Yeah, yeah, like it was just we all survived. So, we all made it out okay. So people are more important than things. People are more important than things, but I love things. But I guess sort of, yeah, I guess, mm. you know, my my other mantra, so aside from, you know, just because it was it worked, you know, worked for you last year doesn't mean it works for you today, it would probably just be it is what it is. Yeah. So I guess that's what it was. My house burnt down, it is what it is. I can count all the heads. All the heads are still with me. Yeah. Um, we did lose about 100 fish, but, you know, babies, dogs, they were all good. Um, yeah, it just it is what it is. So mm. I think that's that's one of the things that just helps me slide through life because I don't fight it. Yeah. Sort of, you know, I can kick and scream. It doesn't change it. So I'm just like, all right, this is what we're dealing with. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And I love asking people this question. What do you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at showing up for my business. Really? I'm surprised you said (laughs) that. Yes. I thought, you yeah, were say, so I, thought, I thought you were going to say numbers. <laughs> no, no. But if I showed up for my business, I'd probably have better numbers. I was like laughing that, you know, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to have to do that. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's probably one of my, um, my big goals for the next few months is to show up, physically yeah. show up for my I'll business, be one of those people up, that, be in there more. one of those people that turn up on social media and say, hi, my name's Mia. You should buy this product from me. Right. But no. I don't really like doing that. So, yeah, I'm trying to think what would be there. Okay. Right. No, well, see, I, I'm not going to say numbers because I just don't get hot for numbers. So. No, okay, I get it. I get it. I, I, I didn't used to, but I do now. Um, yeah. The, the, the very last thing is, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, is the majority of our audience are you, meaning that they're women, that they've got a family, they've got a business, they've, you know, got lots of stuff going on. Um, and I often get women say to me, how do you balance? You know, there'll be women listening to this, driving the car or, or doing the dishes or running on the, you know, the, the treadmill or whatever. And they'll be thinking to themselves, how does she balance all this? Being a hairdresser, a businesswoman, a mum, a wife, um, three different businesses. Okay, one salon, one education company, one coaching company. How does she balance all this? What's the secret to finding that sort of balance? I think the secret is asking for help. Okay. I think that was probably, you know, when we spoke about sort of, you know, what do you do when there's like a little niggle in the salon or something like that? Or if someone comes to me and has a bit of a whinge, like, you know, this happened or that happened. And I always say, did you ask for help? 
And they'll say no. And I said, because if you ask for help, people, if you ask someone for help, they don't say, no, I won't help you. They will always help you. So I think that's what it comes down to. I think that's a big, that's a big key is asking for help. So I know now if I need to ask my partner to help me with something or for support, if I don't know how to do something, I'll outsource it. So, you know, like we've been talking about numbers and how I don't particularly love them. My bookkeeper comes every single Wednesday to come and see me and she does all of my books and my reports for me. And then I meet with my accountant every month because they're not my passion. So I get help in those areas where I'm a little bit weak. Um, you know, if I need, you know, if I need my kids to help me with something sort of, you know, I've got to word that a little bit different to get them motivated. But if I, you know, if I need, if I need, um, if I need support or if I'm struggling with something, or if I don't know how to do something, if I'm bad at something, I will always ask for help because then it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> so, but that's what I always think. I think, you know, if you ask someone for help, no one ever says no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's the, the perfect note to uh, to wrap up on. Where, where can people connect with you on Instagram or any other social media channels? So uh, Instagram is probably where I am the most. So you can just DM me anytime, uh, the fox in the hair. Or I'm always on Facebook as well. So you can slide into my DMs. I do check that all the time. Never call me. I'll never answer your calls, but I will respond to your DMs. Right. Well, if you're listening to this podcast with Mia DeVries and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Mia, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. You're you're a real live wire and uh, you're full of information and openness and honesty and uh, and you are what I would refer to, someone called me recently and I, I, I like it, uh, and that was a truth teller. Okay, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Mia, for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.